Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of Spirit Addicts by Sideline Sports Network. We appreciate everybody that joined us for our first live television show Tuesday night. Uh, it's not the original night that we usually run. Our schedule is going to be Monday and Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time um, from here on out. There will be some special shows that pop up, like we'll have a show on Sunday um, after the game, uh, reaction, recap game, whatever you want to call it. Um, there'll be times that, you know, we might win some crazy – we come back 31 points or something and win the game and we'll have a reaction that night. But – uh, for the most part, we'll stay on the schedule Mondays and Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we had the largest crowd that Spirit Addicts by Sideline Sports has ever had um, on Tuesday night. So I really appreciate everybody for joining and watching and listening. Um, it's going to get even bigger because of the iHeartRadio deal that's so close. I keep saying that, but. Guys, when y'all start seeing contracts that's got 400 pages in it, to mesh those together is insane. Um, I literally had to get a real lawyer because I'm not smart enough to know what those things are saying. Um, but anyways, all of that's still coming. I couldn't, couldn't ask for a better um, first show. I, I was extremely ecstatic. Um, if people don't know this now, if you missed the show Tuesday – we picked up an official sponsor uh, from Game Day Vodka. They are the official vodka for uh, FSU. They are not a gimmick at all. They want people to know that. Um, and I personally was a vodka snob. And I'm not saying this because they sponsored me because I went after them. Literally, it's the smoothest vodka that I've ever had. Um, to find out if you've got smooth vodka or not, you have to try it straight. And their vodka is so smooth that I literally questioned if there was alcohol in it the first time that I tried it. And very shortly, therefore, after I found out that it was very potent in alcohol. Um, so they do a really good job. They've also came out with their new drink this summer called Spiked. Uh, there's three different flavors. One of them is fruit punch. One of them is lemon or yeah, lemon. And the other one's strawberry. They all have their own names. One of them is called Cleat Chaser which is the lemon one that tastes like Sprite. Um, go get them and try them. They make, what are those called? I'm not going to knock anybody, but the claw drink. Y'all know the word before that. Um, they make those taste absolutely like garbage. Uh, I never was a fan of them myself, but these actually have really good vodka in them, so they taste really good. So anybody, anybody that's listening, if you are a vodka drinker or even if you are not, please go give Game Day Vodka a try. You can pick them up at Publix and ABC Wine and Spirits. Um, you can also order offline if you're not in the state of Florida. Um, and they're very, very well priced. You definitely get more than what you're paying for. Um, with that, this is also brought to you by iHeartRadio, uh, official sponsor. And I want to give a shout out to Made Equal Clothing. Please go check them out. And you can find them on Twitter at Made Equal um, I think it's an underscore there, but you, if you put it in made equal, you'll find them uh, with no problem. Uh, listen to the guy's story and the reason that he started the company. It's absolutely amazing. So we've got a special guest on with us tonight, which he will be here probably as a, another co-host um, moving forward. He's going to be on the Monday and Thursday night show with us as many times as he can make it. And his name is Chip. He started a group that's called Unconquered 850. He has some huge connection. I don't know how he pulls it off. But he has a huge connection with a lot of the former athletes at Florida State. He does a really good job. He's really good friends with a lot of them. Um, he gets them to interact on the page, which is really cool. So if you want to interact with former Knowles, his page is the place to be. Um, you can find it on Facebook. You can also find Chip on Twitter, and he'll let you know where you can find him at on all of the social media platforms. I'm just trying to give um, an, an introduction the best that I can. Um, he he used to play Division Two, NAI. NAI. Um, he was a QB. 
he's got to sit down with Coach Bowden. Coach Bowden told him that he could make it. Uh, it was probably like the highlight of his life. Um, I know if Coach Bowden would have told me that, it would have been the highlight of my life. So uh, we want to welcome Chip, everybody. Uh, we, we appreciate y'all coming and listening. And if any of Chip's fans are on here listening and watching, please put it in the comments um, that you're from um, Unconquered 850. Because what that does for me is is we can scale how much bigger his his fan base is getting for Unconquered 850. So I would appreciate if you put it in the comments that either put Chip or 850. I'll know what you're talking about. Um, Chip, so Taylor and myself and James Coleman did a show Tuesday, and we talked about Wake Forest and Florida State. Mm -hmm. we, we first started off with why we thought Florida State could win this game. What is it that you think that Florida State has to do in this game to come out with a victory? Florida State's defense has to make Wake Forest's quarterback, which his name slipped in my mind because – just because. Verse, love it, and all of them need to make him just as uncomfortable as he possibly can. One thing I noticed in the Clemson game is if you let him sit in the pocket, he's going to pick you apart. But if you make him throw on the run or make him throw on the move, he is not accurate, and he's going to make mistakes. And – um I believe with how athletic our defense is, they are going to make his night a or his day a very long, long day. And from what we all saw is Wake Forest's defense is pure, pardon my language, shit. It's horrible. So Wake Forest is going to try to stack the box to stop our run game. Jordan Travis is going to eat him alive. They decide to drop in coverage. Our run game is going to eat them alive. I really, really expect Florida State to beat Wake Forest by 21. If they play the way they are capable of playing, this isn't a game. This is going to be a this is going to be a slaughter. I, I like it. Wake Forest doesn't have athletes. <laughs> this isn't the same Seminole team that. Went to got beat by 21 points. This is a totally different team with a totally different attitude, a totally different swagger to them. And uh, Wake Forest is about to get a rude awakening. You know, I'm usually a realist, you know, being like, hey, this is going to be a tough game. Dude, I saw nothing out of Wake Forest to make me that we can't beat them by 21 or more points. Tyler, what do you think about the 21 points? Because you're a statistics guy. You know, the spread went from two, a Florida State uh, being a two-point home favorite, to Florida State being a seven-point home favorite. Uh, Dave Clawson has talked about several times, that's the Wake Forest coach, talked about several times how he didn't really want to come and travel to Wake Forest because, or to Florida State because of no electricity, no food, well, Guess what? We're going to bring all the canned goods to him. We'll make sure that the student section is live and proud, and it's, it's going to be a full capacity there with the student section. We're going to see how the general admission and everything goes there, but I'm a little bit uh, on the side of saying it's going to be about a one to two possession game, maybe a seven to ten swing. Um, just kind of depends on how everything goes. I think Florida State does a really good job in their pass defense. Pass defense is about one six, uh, 166 yards a game. Uh, they're first in the ACC, so that's really important, especially when you're dealing with a quarterback like Sam Hartman, A.T. Perry, uh, Donovan Green. you got those guys that are out there really grinding on the pass offense. Wake Forest's rush offense is not really great, uh, but Florida State does a really good job in containing the run, um, except for when it's a rushing quarterback. And Sam Hartman is not a scrambling quarterback at all. So you really look at that. You, you factor in also that Wake Forest's defense has kind of been a break. They force a little bit of turnovers. I think they have like 11 sacks in four games. So it's pretty good for them overall. Uh, six forced fumbles, uh, four interceptions. They, they're optimistic. They're bend but don't break. But when they get into the red zone, it's kind of miss or, uh, miss or take in that regard. Um, Clemson really attacked their defense and really their back seven. Um, so you're really just trying to find ways to be efficient. And Wake Forest's defense, they don't really have the best rush defense. They've got 166 yards. 
per game. So Florida State's right on tack with that that rushing offense and rushing defense, and I think that could really be something they exploit. And hopefully, um, you know, Jordan Travis can kind of keep his momentum going as he goes through the offense. Well, I went back and watched the the Clemson Wake Forest game, and because you know the game went down to overtime and all that, I was like, man, Wake Forest is really playing with Clemson today. This is this is wild. This is great to see. But when I went back and watched the game, it was like Clemson was trying to find any way to give them that game that they possibly could. wasn't necessarily what Wake Forest was doing good. It's what Clemson wasn't doing right. So the better team came out and won the game at the end. Talent showed up finally, and Clemson won the game. But Clemson manhandled Wake Forest throughout that whole game. Like it was – it wasn't close. The score was a lot closer than the actual game itself. So after seeing it, what it did for me was it made me feel a lot more confident. And if Florida State plays Florida State football, I don't see Wake Forest really having much of a shot in this game. Um, the reason that I say that is is because what we've noticed week in and week out, and it all started with Duquesne, we haven't seen Florida State take their foot off the gas once they've started yet. Like, Yes, the game against LSU was extremely close, but we pulled it out and won it. Then the game against Louisville, we let them stick around a little bit too long. We couldn't just, you know, put the dagger in because we got cute on the uh, three-yard line by tossing the ball and causing a fumble or whatever we did. Whatever games that that happened in, because it sounds like I'm talking about LSU, but we're allowing people to stick with us in games. But then we go and play Boston College which everybody keeps telling me that Boston College is garbage, blah, blah, blah. That may be true, but they're still an ACC Power 5 team. Mm-hmm. Um, if they played Miami's schedule, they'd have just as many wins as Miami does, is what I'm trying to say. And, yes, that was all so I could put Miami's name out there. Um, but I feel like Florida State can control the narrative in this game. I think they can control the time of possession. I also believe – that all that this head coach did by talking about this being a Vanderbilt-type crowd, possibly him making his remarks about he didn't want to go to Tallahassee because of food and electricity, I think he pissed a bunch of kids off that play football that are going to be against him on Saturday. Um, So I think they're going to come out playing with a chip on their shoulder even. Hey, listen, that that's something that you didn't do back in the day. You didn't talk about Florida State if you were going to play him. Well, I think that Florida State's going to make him eat his words. He's going to have plenty of things to eat. It just might not be edible. Um, They're going to throw plenty enough sod up at him when uh, we're kicking their ass up and down the field come Saturday. Um, I really believe that. So I've got them – you know, my first initial thought, I gave a score prediction of 38 to 20-something. I had them winning by 11 points, Florida State. Now I'm almost on the verge of 17 points just because I think you pissed them off. Um, And that's how much faith I have in this team at this point. And I'm going purely based off of now they got me pissed off. So now I just want to beat them that bad. So if I want to beat them that bad, then obviously the players want to beat them that bad. But Taylor, can you give us any, any reasons of what we should be worried about with what Wake Forest could do to get behind us and start scoring? What are we like have to buckle down on? It's that mesh concept, the run pass option that they do. You're going to see a lot of opportunities where Florida State's going to get where it could be ineligible receivers downfield, blockers could be down the field five yards, but they do it so well that a lot of these referees for the ACC and Big Twelve and other other conferences they don't call it because Wake Forest consistently does this most often. So a lot of times what most teams do in run pass options, they're able to get the ball out of their hands with about 1.5 seconds. Typically the late fours is about 3 to 3.5 at that point. They don't have Christian Bill Smith anymore, so they're not having to worry about that rushing attack on that kind of game. But they do have Ellison and also Smith that they run the ball efficiently with. But in terms of that, you know, both of those guys combined last year only had about 120 yards total uh, against us. And those were two backs they thought they were pretty high on coming into the season. Now, the wide receivers you're going to have to worry about because a lot of times with those quick slant routes, they can be efficient. And Clemson found that out right away as soon as they had 330 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, The problem is Florida State's going to have to stay disciplined. 
you're probably going to have to have a linebacker in the middle of the field, which is probably going to be Tatum Bethune at that point. Um, Kalen Deloach is going to have to be able to uh, stop some of these spy run games and everything. He's going to have to blow up the inside. And uh, like Chip was talking about, you're going to have to get Love It and also Burst back. If they're able to come back, I think I like Florida State's chances even more in a, in a blowout fashion. I do think that Gaynor is probably going to be the most likely to be ready in this game compared to Burst and, and Love It. But I do think there is a chance both of those guys can come back, other than uh, some of the other guys that we got coming back as well. But just overall, I think it's going to really be important for those defensive linemen like Robert Cooper. We haven't heard his name much this season other than the LSU game. And he's going to have to blow up the middle of the interior if some of those guys aren't able to come through. So I think that's really important for Florida State to do. Attack early and often, blow up the plays when you can, and really make Sam Hartman uncomfortable. So, Chip, how do you feel about – you know, Amari Gaynor coming back, um, hearing that Fabo may be coming back, and Verse is supposed to be coming back as well. What what confidence does that give you with the defense on this particular game? Uh, it, it, it gives me the confidence to say that I can easily see this being a 21-point win because, like you said, you make Hartman – you make him uncomfortable. He's not good throwing on the move or when he has pressure in his face. You saw that at times in the Clemson game. So, you know, that gives me all the confidence that the, our defensive backs, you know, can do their job and do their job confidently because there is no run game for them to fall, fall on it. I don't like anybody's run game against our defense. I will add to this because I know um... – Marion Cooper last week. He came back for the first time after injury, and he really showcased what he was going to be in this defense. And we didn't really see it early on. You saw a lot of times where he was coming in four to five plays a game and wasn't really being used efficiently. Now he's kind of getting back to where he needs to be in terms of the skill set-wise, and now you're not really having to rely on Renato Green being your top corner. Now you have Cooper and Green on the outside, and you got a greedy Vance, and you're hoping Jerry and Jones can step up in this game as well. But the defensive back's confidence, getting those guys back into the swing of things and getting back to their normal roles, I think is very, very important in this game. So I had a Clemson fan come at me and say that, that I really believe that Florida State's defense as a whole was better than Clemson's defense as a whole. One, I do think that we're a better defense all, all around. Um, I'm not saying by like night and day differences, but I do think we're better. But one spot I can definitely say we're better in is the defensive backs. Our defensive backs room is quite a bit better than what Clemson's is. Clemson's, they, they seem to be lost multiple times against Wake Forest on those quick slants. They seem to be lost on that post route that um, not their top wide receiver, um, but the guy that's right underneath him that's doing pretty well this season. Um, but I've seen them give him way too much cushion on those quick slants. I don't know why they were eight to ten yards back when they only needed seven yards. I was very confused what Clemson was doing on those defensive calls. I understood that – and I've noticed coaches doing this, um, but Clemson was almost playing a red zone breakdown is what I call it. Basically, we'll let you get to the red zone if you can with us giving you this cushion, and then we're going to put the pressure on. Sometimes that can bite you in the butt. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, it bit Clemson in the butt because they allowed him to go up and down the field on him, and then Wake was able to score, so therefore it kept the game going. That's how we got to overtime. But don't both of y'all feel like with the linebacker core that we've got this year in coverage, I mean, look what Lundy's done, how much weight he's lost, how much better he is mobility-wise of coverage because he last year he just couldn't cover anybody. Look how much better they are. Then you've got uh, – Kalen Delotes, that is absolutely from sideline to sideline. He is everywhere the ball goes. And then you got Tatum Bethune, that's your spy guy and run stopper. Mm-hmm. Why would I not think that our second line and third line of defense is better than Clemson's? Would y'all both agree that we have a better, at least secondary, than Clemson? Absolutely. I'm a little bit nervous um, about Clemson's defense still um, because even though their defensive backs played terrible, they were missing a corner, a nickel corner, and a safety. So I don't necessarily 
think that they are a terrible defense. I still think they're a good defense. Don't get me wrong. I still think they have some viable pass rushers that can get to the quarterback efficiently. Their linebacker play is a little bit less uh, with having some returning guys not returning from the team this season. Brent Venables is going to Oklahoma to be the head coach. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. But I will say that with them playing NC State this week and having to you know ruffle up NC State per se, it could mean well for Florida State if they're able to get a win against Wake Forest, travel into uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to be able to face off against North Carolina State after they've already played Clemson. It's the same situation we're going into at Wake Forest. They're hobbled, they're disheartening, and and there's a lot of different things going on with that Wake Forest program because they're kind of down after that loss. It was a double overtime loss, very tiring, very um, just a lot of different factors going into it, and only a team can handle so much when you're getting adversity like that. So really I think Florida State sets up in a good spot. I think their defense – Defensive back is improving. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they're better. I wouldn't even really say they're above average right now. I still think they're an average unit right now, kind of getting into the swing of things. But I do think Florida State is kind of building that confidence as we go throughout the season. Gotcha. Chip, I don't know how much you pay attention to statistics and how you was a former player. As me, myself, I pay attention to it about half and half. Taylor is our statistics guy. Like he is on top of the statistics. Oh, dude, like, Taylor nails it every single time. Like I like, I love listening to him talk because I'm learning something every day. Every time, every time he throw he throws every he throws his information out. Absolutely. Um, do you feel like? Do you feel like Wake Forest? Both of you. This is a question for both of you. So how, however y'all answer in order, I don't care. Do y'all feel like the defense that we're fixing to face Saturday against Wake Forest is as bad, worse, or a little bit better than Boston College's defense we just played? I compare Wake Forest's defense relatively very close to Boston College's. I just – I don't – they – and actually Boston College, I think, played the run a little bit better than what Wake's going to play it. But um, as far as secondary, their secondary to me is about the same. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I believe Wake Forest is 13th in total defense in the ACC, uh, which is uh, pretty bad. Let me just put it that way, uh, out of 14 teams. But, uh, yeah, they're about on par with Boston College. I, I think Boston College just kind of gave up on the season compared to how their offensive line's going on the offensive side of the ball. Bill Djokovic is just getting sacked left and right. They're having to get back on the field right after uh, a three and out. It's just been really rough for Boston College. I would say it's comparable to them, but I do think uh, Wake Forest, like I said, has a little bit more bend-but-don't-break style of defense. Uh, this Boston College defense can actually be pretty talented, but like I said, they've kind of given up on the season after being one and three right now. Um, and you're kind of losing a lot of confidence in that unit that you thought was going to be a strength for Will Halfley's team. Uh, just overall, I think Wake Forest is a better defense, but not by much. So here's the thing that I, I'm going to call out who I think is going to be – who I think is going to be – they're going to have their breakout game as far as defense goes uh, because he's going to have the help from Verse being back. So Verse being back is going to help this. I think that Verse is going to be limited – because of him coming back from an injury. I don't think he's going to play like he was when we were playing against LSU by no means. So I think that this is the game that Derek McClendon is going to show out in. I think that he's going to have the best game of his season so far. Um, I think it's going to do a lot for his confidence moving forward. Um, happy birthday to Derek McClendon, by the way. It's his birthday today. Um, but I think that having that help from Verse – that Derek's going to catch those guys on the on the winded side when they're when he's ready to go after the, the when he goes in full attack mode and y'all say that Hartman's not a mobile quarterback you know he's not a scrambler I'm I'm with you 100 I think he's going to scramble better than that Djokovic or however you say his name at Boston College not much better but I think he's got a little bit more mobility than that guy does but. I think that Derek McClendon is going to have a huge game on the defensive end side. Um, I also think that with what we got to see from Greedy Vance and uh, Kevin Knowles this past uh, game against Boston College, 
that interception that Greedy Vance had was not easy by any means. That that was a nice catch. That was a nice INT to put together. Um, and if you've ever played the game, that's all. So that's all the player needs to get them sparked. They get that vote of confidence from making that first play, and then like the rest of the season just goes right. Um, do y'all feel like on the offensive side, and you can bring up defense as well, but on the offensive side? Do you feel like this is a Micah Pittman breakout game finally? Is this the wide receiver that's going to lead it all for us? Because um, it's hit, like he's up, he's due for the to be the guy in the spotlight because we know what he does blocking 300-pound linemen and stuff to that nature. But I feel like there's a huge mis- mismatch with him on the slot side with who Wake Forest has got in the defense. What are y'all's thoughts? Um, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I brought up this stat earlier on on the last show. Portier against Duquesne had four receptions for 84 yards. Wilson had seven receptions for 102 yards against LSU. Uh, against Louisville, Johnny Wilson had seven catches for 149 yards. And then you turn around and have Boston College having Darian Williamson come out and have that breakout game and have 98 yards. So you're seeing all those different receivers and, and those guys responding and, and doing the right thing. And then you you kind of look at it and say, okay, well, who's next? Who's next out of this out of this group that we have? Micah Pittman. He's only got 141 yards so far this season, but he's been dishing out those key pivotal blocks. And you're looking at that guy saying, wow, you know, can you be able to be that guy? I know we've seen the screen game. I know we've seen the pivotal blocks downfield, but will he be able to turn on the Jets and get past one of these Wake Forest defenders? And I think it could be possible. Will a do span that you never even really expected? this past season to really even be a contributor. He's got five receptions for 46 yards. Can he be that guy? We all know him as being a burner coming out of Illinois, but was he going to take that next step? And you're looking at that just saying, okay, well, how will he be effective in that? So I think those are two guys you have to really watch out for. Defensively, you talk about defensive ends. Um, I think Dennis Briggs is a guy you need to watch out for on that side of the ball because of him not being able to contribute right away so far. I think he's been a little bit more underwhelming coming off of his injury from last season, but I do think he could be able to be the one to step up. But I do like your pick for Derek McClendon, and maybe it might be a birthday surprise coming up pretty soon for him. Well, one thing I like is I like the attitude Pittman has brought to our offense. He has, to me, like he, he is what gets our offense going. Like he's, He's breathed new life into the receiving core. Like the receiving core has that has it has an attitude about it now, and it's been a next man up. Like we're, I mean, you're seeing the absolute depth of our receiving core. Like, and that you know, for the last couple of years has been kind of a weakness. Like we haven't, we haven't. Florida State hasn't produced the athletes that we used to have. Like we're, that we were used to seeing. Now, you know. And I honestly believe Pittman has helped usher in a new attitude. Pittman, he doesn't mind knocking the piss out of a 300-pound defensive lineman. He doesn't mind going over the middle and taking a big hit for a big reception. Um, <laughs> that guy has been an absolute godsend to us. And um, if it's, it'll either be this Wake Forest game or it could end up being the Clemson game that you see Pittman absolutely break out. Um, as far as defense, I look for De- I look for Deloach to have a big game. I look for our defensive, our interior defensive line, to be able to get the push for you know versus McLennan and then for our our linebackers to absolute just to pick up the trash as I call it. So I had a question for y'all. So I know we're all in agreement with with uh, Micah Pittman and, and being potentially that breakout star in this game. We talk about Mike Norvell and how he loves tight ends in his offense. And Cam McDonald has been a guy that's kind of been that safety valve up in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Do you think he plays a role in this game in terms of getting, let's just say if you're in a third and nine situation or third and ten, do you go to him in the middle of the field, or do you just pick the obvious answer and go with Johnny Wilson, the six-seven receiver? I, I actually, I would have no problems going going to Cam. Cam has actually the last two games 
has actually stepped up his game big time and has been that Mr. Reliable for J. Trav? Me personally, I I think the way you get him misdirected to get it to Cam the right way so he does get open is you have uh, J. Trav roll out to the right side and you bring that linebacker down just enough that J. Trav can get the ball over the top of him. I mean, it's a perfect play on a third and eight, third and nine. Um, so I personally think depends on what the linebacker does. If he bites on it, obviously you go to your tight end and it, it's a perfect play. But if you're going to throw a jump ball, by all means, throw it to Johnny Wilson. And I um, say, um, a lot of times with the wide receivers, we, we never really talk about how Ja'Kai Douglas has still not played this season. He's been one of our more reliable uh, pass catchers. You can ask Miami. Miami knows that very well from last season. Um, I just think there's a lot of different receivers that you haven't seen. Winston Wright Jr., the, probably the best transfer we've got from the transfer portal, and he hasn't even seen the snap yet. So there's a lot of mouse to feed in this offense, but even though Florida State is top 20 in offense this season, they're two, one of their two uh, best playmakers for the offense is still not even there yet. So, Yeah, it's absolutely – for us to have this conversation just a year later, you know how wild that is for what we were all saying last year to this year is just that's I mean that's a ten year jump in my opinion. But but I I'm gonna bring this up to both of you to see what you think on this. Wake Forest isn't the team that we feel like is the one that's gonna come here dark horses and come out with a win. Who is it that we're worried about in this schedule? If we if we beat Wake Forest like we think, who in the schedule is it that you're worried about and why? Um, for me, and y'all might disagree or you might agree, it's NC State. We've always we've always seemed to struggle at times against NC State, and I can see NC State try, uh, kind of sort of being a trap game. Yeah, I'm just a little nervous about that NC State team also. Um, I don't think – and everybody's going to point to last season and how we had so many guys out for the flu and we were still able to be successful in everything that we do. Um, and, you know, we had McKenzie Milton at quarterback. It wasn't just a great game. I was there and it was it was abysmal. Um, but I just think that NC State is going to be probably your biggest threat. And that'll really tell you how much and how long Florida State's going to be. Everybody talks about Clemson being that gold standard, but if you beat NC State on the road, and let's just say you're, you know, six no, five and no going to that game, um, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Well, everybody, I just added James uh, Coleman. Uh, obviously, he doesn't need an introduction to anybody that watches the show or watches his show. James, we've been talking about why we think we're going to beat Wake Forest. We've we've been talking about um, a lot of different players. Your, your little brother, Kalen DeLoach, comes up almost every conversation. Um, but what we've moved on to, and I want your opinion on it because I didn't ask it in the last show, what team is it that's left on the schedule that you're most worried about us competing with as far as like could be the dark horse? Not saying that we can't beat them. Just who's the team that you've got the most? Okay, that's that's kind of who I'm worried about the most. Well, I was, I'll give you three. Um, one, Syracuse. I have no idea why Syracuse is what they are. I mean, no matter what you how how you chop it up. I mean, I saw an interesting graphic about um, the teams that are four and zero right now based on strength of schedule, and Syracuse is at nine. So I mean, and the probability of any other top twenty five team with their same schedule um, doing that is maybe slightly above 50%. So that means they're better than most of the teams that are in the nation that are some of the best teams. Um, but I'll still say Miami and I'll still say Florida. Miami still has talent. They're just trying to figure it all out with a new staff and the same thing with Florida. Um, and they're a wounded animal. And sometimes when you go over there and, and you think you're just going to kick their butt and it's a rivalry game, you let them hang around. Um, but the mindset that I'm taking every week is that we're still we're we're not there yet. So every game we're is a is a new season. And we have to go approach every game like we did with Boston College because while I believe every game on this schedule is very winnable, I also believe that 
we've let a lot of teams hang around that should not have hung around. And last week was the first time we just went out and mud stomped somebody from zero 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 to zero zero zero. So now if I go to this game against Wake Forest and we do that again, and I'll change my stance. But like right now, just go out there and kick butt and, and, and take it as a one game season, and so, so that we can continue to change the the mindset and mentality of Florida State football. Chip, if you had any questions, uh, whether it be past tense or about this season, or if it's just Florida State related at all. What would you ask James Coleman uh, right now with the opportunity? James, um, if we're able to get a good defensive push against Wake Forest and make Hartman just as uncomfortable as we possibly can, do you could you foresee it being a, a 20, uh, 21 point win? Oh, without a doubt. Um, something to see. I do my research right here because Chris got me feeling like I got to be like professional and stuff. Can't just do it like my show by the seat by the um, seat of my pants. But <laughs> one thing that Wake Forest does, um, and they do average about. I'm trying to get pull up the sacks, the sack totals. I had it. Um, they, oh, sack yards. They've given up 11 sacks in the in the uh, in the few games they've played. They have. And they, let's just think about who they've played. They've played Liberty. They play in Clemson. I don't think Clemson necessarily got a ton of sacks because um, Hartman was able to get rid of the ball. But it's not like they're playing teams that are explosive and 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 are doing this. So what what we have is the opportunity, especially if you get interior push, like you said, and then your edges are are as explosive as they are. You have a chance to box them in, and if you're bringing pressure, like a, a an extra blitzer. Um, and what we like to do in this defense, I don't know if anybody's paid attention, how much we bring that extra, that nickel guy or that extra safety coming in, like the mm-hmm. Jamie Robinsons of the world. Those guys are getting brought, and that's not that's a better athlete than most offensive linemen are used to blocking. That's typically the guy that the running back will pick up, but they're not coming right away. It's a little bit more delayed. So with, and I don't think they've seen as experienced athletic corners as we've seen. So I don't think those guys are going to just be running wide open. And remember. Clemson jumped out on Wake Forest. Clemson got undisciplined, though. So 10 penalties for 114 yards, if I remember correctly. And that illusion, excuse me, 120 yards, that illusion the game. Um, and Clemson should have lost the game. But from a statistical perspective, they were far superior. And what Florida State has to do is show that they have a far superior athlete. I believe they do, even with the, the, um, the transfers. The transfers came from Power 5 programs that are typically better than your Wake Forest. And that's no disrespect to Wake Forest. It's just if you go back and look at some of these kids' offer sheets, you know, and you go look at the kids who go to Wake Forest's offer sheets, it's a little bit different. Um, It's very educational. There's nothing wrong with that. But if this were an SAT battle, I would be terrified. But the fact that we're playing football, I'm cool with that. Taylor, I got a question for you. You heard James when he came in. Um, you called this at the beginning of the season, and you got ridiculed on Twitter for it. I mean, absolutely everybody and their mom went after you for it. Yeah. But you called that the the sleeper team that we should be worried about that could almost be a trap game was Syracuse. Yeah. So now, you know, you're hearing James say it on this episode. I seen a smirk when he said it. I saw you smirk a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us what you saw back – Maybe it's different than what it is. You know, maybe you saw something different then than it is now. But what was it about the Syracuse team that you saw back then that made you worry that they were the the sleeper team that could get us? So I saw Garrett Schrader running up and down Doak Campbell Stadium every single time. And I knew Florida State had a little bit of a weakness in trying to figure out how to contain a quarterback in, in that regard, too. I really like Sean Tucker at running back. I thought he was a special talent. But the problem also lies where their next couple of games, they play versus NC State, at Clemson, versus Notre Dame, and then at Pittsburgh, and then they play Florida State. By that time, uh, they'll probably be, I'd say, 5-0 and because they play Wagner this week. Um, at that point, they're going to come off of maybe four losses in a row. We'll see how Notre Dame plays for the rest of the season. But you're going into that game 5-4, and four, and at that point – you're trying to get a win in your next three games. And your next three games after that are Florida State, Wake Forest, and Boston College. Can you get, you know, let's just say another win, which in hindsight I didn't think Boston College was going to be that bad, but I did think uh, think that uh, Syracuse is going to basically be 
I saw it, you know, three and four in that contest before they play Florida State, somewhere in that area. And I thought they were basically going to be like James talked about, a wounded puppy at that point uh, with Miami and Florida in that regard. So I really didn't know uh, with that regard that Syracuse would be this good, but I did think that they could have a chance to beat Louisville. I thought there was a, a successful path in that. I thought Cunningham actually turns the ball over a little bit more. Um, I actually had them beating um, Connecticut and also Virginia, but I had them losing to Purdue. So I had them going three and one through this stretch anyway. So it is what it is on that point, but I think Dino Babers is fighting for a job at this point, and it's it's got to come to a time where Syracuse fans got to look in the mirror and they got to ask themselves, are they really committed to the football program or are they not? And I think they are committed at this point because you're seeing all the excitement that they have so far throughout the season. James, I got a question um, for you on this. And then after James, Chip, you chime in with your two, but James – what two players, one defense, one offense, should have a standout game against – or that you want to see have a standout game against uh, Wake Forest? Derek McClendon, if he uh, – if you know, healthy or, or Jared Verse, I say on defense, I mean, I already know what four going to do. Four going to do what he do. Um, but I want to see those guys – I want to see that quarterback harassed. I want to see him panicked. I like to see him on the ground quite a few times. And offensively – I'm going to go with Micah Pittman. Um, I, somebody brought it up to me, and I I, um, I went back and I looked at the stats, and I went back and watched it. He just – he's just active, whether it's in – like he's the second – I believe he's the second um, – um, he's the second on the team in receptions, and he's aggressive in blocking. He, he just really goes out and does everything, and I would love nothing more to see him be the, the new – um, leader um, when it comes to this game and receptions and yards. Um, but I think um, they're going to have their hands full with, with big six, seven and, and, and quite a few other guys. But um, I would say, I guess, you know, I know what four on defense is going to do. I'd like to see four on offense do something great. And, um, but I think McClendon or verse will be the guys that I really um, need to see a big game of on defense. Yeah. Chip? Four for four on Micah Pittman, by the way. Yeah, yeah. All I know is uh, Taylor and James, y'all definitely have are going to make me want to step up my uh, statistical game big time because listening to y'all both spot everything out, I'm just like, man, I got to brush up on my stats. It's it's right here, bro. It's on the <laughs> phone, dog. I'm not really I can't, I, I barely, I got the CTE starting to I barely remember my kids' names, so I got to have it right in front of me, dude. Um, my question is for Taylor. Taylor. Seeing, seeing we you have a, a four game spread, um, how what improvements have you seen in the offense that we didn't see last year, and what makes you confidence in the, the rest of the stretch of the season? Uh, plain and simple, Ron Dugans is really coaching very well in terms of that. Uh, receivers are winning one on ones. At this point, uh, it helps when you have a six, seven receiver in Johnny Wilson. Um, I think it does continue because Mike Norvell during his time at Memphis, he was averaging 33.5 points uh, per game at Memphis. And his his statistical output right now um, is tops in the country at this point. You're, you're number two in the ACC, or actually number one in the ACC at scoring offense. So you're being a successful team in terms of finishing drives. And you talked about it in 2020 and 2021, they weren't able to finish in the red zone until later on in the season. you got to finish those drives. And, unfortunately, like Chris talked about before, with the Treshawn Ward mishandle on the, on the pitch, probably shouldn't have called that play call, but he called it, he's going to live up to it, and he's going to move on. I think with Mike Nova running the ship now at the offensive side of the ball, I think that's very key. Not saying anything and, and throwing a jab at Kenny Dillingham because Kenny Dillingham is, you know, he got a job at Oregon for a reason. He's a very talented play caller. I respect him. Uh, nonetheless, I wish he does very good at Oregon until we play him. But I will say that Mike Norvell does a very, very good job in scheming up everything. He did a good job with Lawrence Toe Philly with the wheel ride against Clemson. He understood that we needed to get some offensive momentum in that game, and he understood that he needed to bring out a secret weapon with that regard. So I think it's really important to understand that Mike Norvell's offense continues to not get in, in second and longs and third and longs, and they're able to kind of continue that drive. And it also helps in your offensive line 
has not allowed a sack in two of their four games. I'd like to throw this in before anybody else asks. I like how the Bucks stop starts and stops with Mike Norvell. He owns everything. And one thing he showed this year is he's not scared to put his foot on the throat and end the team right then and there. Now, whether whether it works or whether it doesn't work, and you know, at least he's showing uh, a kill or be killed uh, mentality. And another thing is our offensive line, their play this year compared to the last two or three years has been outstanding. Uh, Jordan Travis only having 14 carries so far in four games. It showed how, A, how well they protected him in the, in the pocket, and, a, and B, how well we're running the ball where Jordan's not having to put himself out there. That's something I want people to watch out for. Jordan Travis has not had that has not. Wait, I'm going to preface this: has not used his legs. Not that he hasn't had to use his legs. Jordan Travis just has not used his legs in the capacity. Eventually, he is too dynamic of a weapon to mm-hmm. not use him in the RPO. Um, it's basically been PO, just pass pass only when he's throwing it, or it's a, or it's a run. But the beautiful thing about the RPO is that it gives you two running options. In multiple passing options, but typically it's um, cutting down the field. So um, I'll just use my high school that I coach at. Very simple offense. This is not Mike Norvell's system, but just so people can have an understanding of how the RPO goes. Our quarterback literally reads in in some of the plays the Mike linebacker. If the Mike linebacker steps up, it's a pass. And now we, now there's he goes to the next level, but it just depends on what they do. If the Mike linebacker stays back or goes into coverage, Simple handoff now, but you shift to reading the end. So, like, if the end crashes down, it's a pull and run. If the end stays true and stays disciplined, hand that ball off and hope your offensive line does what they need to do. But again, it's it's the defense has rules. It's impossible for them to always be right, unless you just got a a a, a, a bam, um, a, a a badass mofo over there. If you got one of those, that happens sometimes. But you know, for the most part, when when he is able to use his legs, it will definitely negate and make it more exciting and get that crowd roaring and just add another wrinkle to the offense. But why do it when you don't have to? That's yeah. exactly what I was about to bring up. As long as we don't have to use him, I'm great with it. As long as he ain't got to use his legs, I'm good. Uh, when he starts using his legs, it just makes me smile because he's such a dynamic player. We're talking about Jordan Travis being a dynamic player. We're talking about how he has not had to use his legs. Here's my question. Um, Let's say we beat Wake Forest, we beat uh, NC State, and we beat Clemson. Will everybody finally see Jordan Travis? Let's say he keeps having the games that he's having. He keeps putting on the show that he's he's showing. Does he ever get brought up in the Heisman Trophy talk? Is it finally going to come to where he's being looked at as an actual Heisman candidate? I'll say this. Uh, I don't think Jordan Travis is going to put up enough statistical outputs for it just simply by numbers. I don't think he's going to put up enough because you've seen a lot of times in Florida State's games, they're going to get all the way down to the field. Jordan Travis is going to lead them to 300 yards per game, but he may not rush it in or he may hand it off to his running backs where his numbers per se, like his touchdowns numbers from a season ago, he only had 15 touchdowns from a season ago. He's only got five or six, I believe, from this season. Um and that's partly because they like to run the ball. They like to establish the run. When they get in the red zone, they like to be able to run the football effectively with their running backs. And the three-headed uh, monster with uh, Trayshawn Ward, uh, Trey Benson, and Lawrence Stone Philly. They don't really want to put him in harm's way if they don't really have to. And I think that's a lot of times it's a scheme by Mark Norvell. And it's also not saying that Jordan Drivers can't be a Heisman front runner or a Heisman winner or anything like that, but it's very hard to do. And a lot of times with those Heisman voters, they are looking – that statistics and statistically speaking on terms of just pure touchdowns and pure just passing production he has the passing production but just the touchdowns per se i don't think are all the way quite there yet unless he plays a weight force defense 12 weeks in a row then you may be able to talk about it at that point okay james question for you what coach on the staff are you most impressed with this season so far my son's favorite coach, Coach Fuller. 
Coach Fuller has received a ton of ridicule since he's been here. And I'm just one of those op- those contrary people sometimes. When everybody else is blaming somebody, I got to figure out, like, why? Well, well, why not this? COVID, everybody blamed the defense, said that they weren't good, but everybody gave the offense a pass by saying they didn't practice. So I'm like, well, did the defense have secret practices during COVID or something that we don't know about? Or is right. it the entire team is not prepared because they don't know the system? Then last year, I mean, then even in some of the situations that Mike Norvell put the guys in, like this – Luckily, we haven't had to deal with this, but going forward on fourth down on on your own 35, I don't give a care what analytics say. I just don't feel – I will never feel comfortable doing that when I know my defense has been on the field forever. When you look at last year, a lot of the times the defense had been on the field for for most of the game, and it was just very tiring, and it's tough when you put your defense. Yes, they should stop the other offense every time. That's just not how the world works. This year, with a complimentary offense, the defense has been spectacular. And people even then have still been um, critical. We have enough right now in, in most of our statistical categories outside of, um, I believe, rushing. But when you add in the fact that the, the two of the quarterbacks were the leading rushers and they're both very dynamic, and Jaden Daniels, who is three and one right now, and um, Malik Cunningham, who I believe is two and two now, but two of the most dynamic rushers in the nation. And that's really what did it. You look at their passing defense, you look at them being top, I believe the 23rd ranked defense in the nation currently right now, that is exponential. That's light years ahead of where they were at. That's mm-hmm. light years wherever anybody else, considering the fact they just lost the NFL first-round draft pick to the New York football Giants and Jermaine Johnson that nobody thought we would be able to replace. I think what Coach Fuller has done from top to bottom and not got not gotten enough credit for it, um, and then what I saw him on that sideline, the intensity and how the guys responded to him, that is a guy who I want to continue to see on my staff. Um, I, I think he's the type of guy that's going to not hear what I'm saying. He's the guy who will be an assistant for years like a Mickey Andrews, like your coach that's at, um, that's at um, excuse me, that's at Oklahoma that was a um, coordinator for years at Columbus. Um, Venerables and, and remember, Venerables got ran out of uh, ran out of was it no, it wasn't Oklahoma. Did he get ran out of Oklahoma? No, I forgot where Venerables got ran out of, but he got ran out of somewhere before he went to Clemson and then figured out how to stop the spread offense. But he was coordinated for years. And if you go look at Venerables' resume before he got the big time job, it was very similar to Fuller's. Nobody knows where the hell most of those schools are, so I think Fuller right now is getting it, he's getting the right tools. He's getting the right guys in, and I and I believe he's somebody because you got to have consistency on your staff eventually to be able to build the program that you want. Well, my coach of the season so far, he also came from a school that a whole lot of people don't know a lot about, and that's Charlotte, um, and that's Coach Atkins. One, he's a great offensive. To me, he's one of the great. He will be named one of the greatest, in my opinion offensive line coaches, but giving him the new responsibility of being a co-offensive coordinator, we cannot say that this offense is not night and day different, even on play calling. Um, I know that Norvell calls probably the majority of the plays, um, but Atkins has not failed at play calling this year so far. The way that these guys are prepared week in, week out, the way that we're showing up to play the game, Coach Atkins has to get credit for that. So I personally think that Coach Atkins is one of the better ones. Um, kind of scared about both of these guys being poached next year, personally. I think both of them are going to start hitting the radar for a lot of other schools. Um, hopefully Florida State can hold on to them. It's like I hope Florida State holds on to some of these players for one more year. Just give us one more year. Um, Taylor – um, you can if, – if one of the coaches are the same, that's fine. And then, Chip, both y'all give me who y'all think so far the coach of the year is so far, as far as out of our staff. I'll go ahead and say it, uh, Ron Dugans. Um, I think he's kind of said, you know what, I'm going to prove all my doubters wrong and I'm going to go out there and, and get my wide receivers uh, a lot of touches, a lot of one-on-one opportunities. I just think it's very important that Ron Dugans was able to do a pivotal job this season, and he's doing it so far. I'm going to go with the head man, Mike Norvell. 
Mike Norvell has allowed his coaches to coach. He's allowed Fuller to run the defense, Atkins to run his offensive line, and what a damn good job he has done in building that offensive line and, I mean, and giving us a lights-out run game. Something that make that should make a uh, big old big game James happy, the way that the way they've been running the ball, um, and just allowing Coach uh, Duggins to to coach, you know, his receivers and giving the the receivers an identity where you don't know what game, uh, what receiver is going to be the big game receiver, because we have a depth now there that we haven't had in years. Um. And just the fact that Norvell has – he doesn't mind putting his foot on the throat and ending the team, like I said earlier. Like he has showed, uh, I'm going to attack, 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 attack. We're not going to let up. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, we've got about five minutes left in the show. Um, Taylor, we'll start with you. Um, let everybody know where they can find you. And then Chip, and then James, uh, get your last thoughts, please, and then I'll end the show with uh, a little bit of advertising that's left. Of course, you can find me at Norvell Central on Instagram, at uh, Norvell Central on Twitter, or at Central Norvell. Um, also on the YouTube account, I'm still doing that a little bit here and there, but it's at Norvell Central as well on there. So I'm trying to get all my platforms out there. And uh, if anybody has any questions, you feel free to message me, and I will definitely answer back. Appreciate um, it, Taylor. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. Uh, you can find me at Unconquered850 on Facebook, um, Chip Westerly9 on uh Twitter and Instagram, and uh, as far as YouTube, I'm gonna try to get something set up. But for right now, you can catch me on, and right now and the future, you can catch me on Spiratics uh, with Dog Boys and uh, Go Knowles. Let's get a big win. Appreciate it. And James, before you start uh, letting everybody know um, where to find you and all that stuff, James and I are trying to set up, which I pretty much got it in concrete. James and I might have a pretty special interview uh, come tomorrow. Um, James will, will actually be hosting the interview. I will speak a little bit on what's going on and maybe ask a couple of questions. But James is – I'm trying to let everybody see this for what it really is. Um, James gets to go to the sidelines at, these, at the home games. James has got relationships with Coach Fuller. His son gets to go – you know, see the locker room. We have someone that has relationship with this school after he went and bled, sweat. I don't know if you ever cried on the field or not, James, but if you did, then he put tears on that field as well. So I want to show the, the type of respect for what he's done myself. So I'm not going to sit here and act like that his connections to this school and what he's done for the school doesn't matter because it does. It matters a whole lot. I'm hugely appreciative of what he's done um, before my show ever started, uh, the way that he kept it true with his own shows throughout Florida States. Like when we were winning, fine. When we started losing, he didn't feed you a line of BS. He was always giving you the truth no matter what it was. Um, we're all media, so we all get dinged up here and there. No matter how far you go, it's going to happen. But – I just want everybody to know that the appreciative level that I have for what James Coleman does for us at Spirit Addicts, it's, it's not second to anybody else. He does a great job on his own things, but he comes in here and gives 100% on mine just as well. So y'all are going to start seeing bigger and bigger things come from James and myself. We're teamed up on so many things now, it's going to be ridiculous. So Somewhere down the line, you'll still notice that we're still doing a whole lot together on top of this show. But, James, go ahead and let everybody know where to follow you and what you got going. At Big Game James underscore 36 on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, James Col well, James Anthony Coleman the second on Facebook. I'm barely on that. I really just – but if you want to watch Sports Den, um, you'll see it there at Sports Den, the, at the Sports Den on um, Facebook. 
at Sports Den underscore live on IG and Twitter um, for the uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday show. We'll do a Friday show that I'm headed over to Tallahassee. Um, right now, if you've got tickets, we we gave away 100 tickets. Um, I got to say to people, I love Madison Social and what they did, but that government, guys, I give tickets to every damn game. Like, I want some people to start retweeting the stuff because we've got 100 tickets to this game. We had 100 tickets to Georgia Tech. We'll have 250 tickets. That's the goal to raise the money. That costs money, and I could buy them in bulk from the ticket office for a lot cheaper than what people would get. And these kids go there. Kids got on the Jumbotron last year. I mean, last game, but Woodville Jaguars are going to be at the game, Oak Ridge Elementary, and I believe the Gadsden County Jaguars as well. The 8U and the 10U team will be my guest of honor, uh, our guest of honor in the stadium. Um, they'll get a chance to meet some of the players as well. Um, we need to pack out dope. I don't want anybody ever saying that Dope Campbell Stadium isn't one of the most unique experiences. When I played and when I got done playing, and even to this day when I talk to players, who, opponents, or people who have heard of us, damn, I hate that war chant. Oh, that was so loud. Oh, that was one of the craziest places that I've ever played in. And that's fun. It, um, it helps with recruiting. It helps with the players. Um, I, I, I'd lie to you and tell you that a lot of times we, we really hear that. Um, we don't really, but it does affect the opponent. And the opponent, especially when we stay in there, it's hard to read. It's hard to make audible.